And welcome to episode number 89 of the Curveball Podcast. Michaela Taylor here and John Barrera. And today's guest, I've been trying to get her on for so long <laughs> and she's finally here. And uh, every time I'm around her, she's just she's just great to be around. She's an awesome person. Uh, she's been teaching in the Texas Hill Country for uh, quite, a, quite a while now at a uh, university. You might have heard of it called Shriner University. And uh, she is here today. John, go ahead and introduce today's guest. If you're from Kerrville, you've heard of her, Miss Kathleen Ann Hudson. Thank you for coming on today, Miss <laughs> Kathleen. Thank you. Really. Yeah, so I glad to have honored. you on. Yeah. Honored. So uh, you, there's a lot of things. Let's talk about the future. Let's go to the future real quick first. And there's a uh, tribute to Jimmy Rogers uh, going on September 10th. Now, you're a huge Jimmy Rogers fan. You've done a lot of research on the history of Jimmy Rogers, and uh, you're quite in tune with uh, everything Jimmy Rogers. So tell us about this event. What's going on with this event? Well, a brief history. I moved here in 84 to work with Rod Kennedy and help him promote his songwriting foundation. And I moved here... After a new divorce, after a Ph.D., a year of keeping my kids settled, and then I talked to my kids, and they all agreed, and we picked up and moved to Kerrville. Well, that year was August, 84, and at the depot downtown, which is now Rails, Rod Kennedy had a tribute to Jimmy Rogers. I basically didn't really know who Jimmy Rogers was, but I loved the people who came to that event. And just the feeling and the old people with their memories and dancing. And it was just really moved my heart. And Jimmy Rogers' grandson was there, Jimmy Dale Court. So the next year, Rod said, "Uh, I'm not doing that. Too much work, no money. And I said, well, I'll do it. Now, I was just a volunteer. Bill Lang at Budweiser said, I'll sponsor it with $1,500, see what you can do. So this English teacher, I've been teaching school since 1968. So so you weren't a concert promoter? No, I was not. I just, I was Kathleen Hudson trying something new. So I put up tents and I did it in the YO and I did it all over town and I just kept doing it. Well, by the time 1996 came along, I pulled in the family and I had family members there and Jimmy Dale Court, the grandson was there. And by then I had done some research and it was just a beautiful event down in Louise Hayes Park. Okay. Then, um, Merle Haggard was playing the Wild Social Club, so he was getting a big paycheck on a Saturday. So, wait, Merle Merle Haggard was playing in Kerrville, Texas. Well, he's playing the Y.O. Social Club, yes. So, what, what's the Y.O. Social Out in Club? Mountain Home. Well, okay. It, historically, it was a big, big party out at the Y.O. Ranch. That was okay. when, you know, you had Shriners and you had Heritage and History there. So... I called Merle's office, and somehow I got his drummer, Biff Adams, and his drummer said, you know what? We'll play for you on Sunday. (laughs) So at some Econa Lodge in town, and I didn't know any better. I charged $25 a ticket. Um, But anyway, I was having a fundraiser. By then, I had a music foundation. I had a nonprofit that I started in 1987. 
And part of that was to give a home to this tribute to Jimmy Rogers that I was doing. And I wasn't sure why I was doing it. But as the time went on, 1997, two things happened. One, I somehow ran into Willie Nelson and he somehow said yes. And we ended up with a tribute at the Long Branch on Harper Road. With no contract, nothing but a handshake at a party. And I heard rumors that he was telling people he was coming to Kerrville that Sunday. That's all I knew. And I had Kinky Friedman there and little Joey La Familia, and they had their sound set up, and Willie's buses pull in. And I look up and realize little Joe's going to take his sound. Not being a professional producer, I hadn't thought about sound. So I run to little Joe, please leave your sound. I can pay you more. Of course, Willie wasn't charging me. So Willie came and played, and the photos are amazing, and we raised money for our scholarship fund. And Bob Dylan put out a tribute album in 97, and Willie was on that album. And I am wearing the Rough and Rowdy Ways t-shirt. I do see that, yeah. You know, Bob Dylan, Nobel Laureate of Literature, 81 years old, and he's touring behind this album. So he came to Texas, played six gigs. I was at four of them. So all these threads weave together. Now, of course, I have a passion and a love for what Jimmy Rogers brings to us. And this year, you know, we've done it at Shriner, and I've done it as part of one event, and I've done it as part of my foundation. Well, now I'm doing it with a collection of community sponsors And I'm doing it out at the Ridge Rock Amphitheater, which is a new venue behind Cafe at the Ridge. And it's going to be free and family, and we're having Munchies food truck, and we have a guitar raffle. Seven to nine on Saturday, September 10th at the um, Ridge Rock. And that's next weekend. I mean, that's coming up pretty quick. Next Saturday, isn't it? Uh, The Saturday after this one. Today's the 30th. Yeah, today's already the 30th. So, yes, yeah, 10 days. It's moving. We are yeah. featuring a songwriter because Jimmy Rogers is in the Songwriting Hall of Fame. So this year we're featuring Bernie Nelson and his accolades and awards and, I don't know, 30 million in sales? Something like yeah, On Bernie. songs he's written. So we're going to have a good fun. But what's really fun, and y'all ought to come out and do it, The first hour, we're just going to have a tribute to Jimmy. Anybody who wants to sing a song, tell a story, read a poem, that first hour will be a local tribute. That's that's something. So there you go. All around the water tank, waiting on a train. And Jimmy Rogers, he had uh, some history in this town. Well, yes. That's that's how we started this. Um, He built his dream house, which is called Blue Yodeler's Paradise. And he built it at 617 West Main. And at that time, I think I've read that it cost about $55,000. And that was 1929. And he opened the Majestic Theater in San Antonio. Which is a beautiful theater, mm. by the way. Yes. In 1929. It, wow. He, he uh, rehearsed upstairs at Pampel's, which was a kind of opera house. Yeah. And yeah. he also played at the Arcadia. Wow. So, a lot yeah, of Jimmy history. Rogers had two years in this town. He moved to San Antonio. 
moved into a duplex. He was dying of tuberculosis. I mean, he went into the music business after he was diagnosed with TB. He couldn't be a brakeman anymore, America's singing brakeman. He couldn't be that. He couldn't work on the train. And um, he actually went into the music business with TB. So, you know, he's got the TB blues. And he came to Kerrville because we were a gathering place for TB care. Wasn't where the state hospital is that used to be? A sanitarium of some sort, yeah. A sanitarium. Was the, uh, that wasn't the tuberculosis? Didn't they have like a tuberculosis hospital around here or something? Yes, I, I think it was. Okay. But uh, Dr. Rector knows more about that. Okay. He's another local fan. Uh, Dr. Jimmy, Rector, okay. Rector, yeah. Hey, yeah, the, the, you know, you never know until you talk to him. We need to get Dr. Rector on yeah, the this, on the podcast, John. Yeah, this he is really, really amazing. he Heavy really time. does know the history. And, yeah, um, I've seen him give a talk on, uh, you know, tuberculosis care and Kerrville. So this year, uh, Stan Morris, uh, much beloved by all the musicians in town, the owner of the Melody Corner music store, which is no longer available for us, but I think Stan is still doing some work. Yeah. And he's going to MC and he's going to kick it off with the song. All Tony right. Navarro will be there. Tony became Jimmy. Tony and I ran around and interviewed family members. And boy, in 97, when Willie was here and there was Tony being Jimmy and introducing. And it was it was great. So he'll be back, Tony Navarro, as awesome. Jimmy. That's, so that's, that's going so cool. on September 10th. I'm glad Stan is still still active. Yes. He he. he uh, so I played a song for my my graduation in high school in 2009 in Centerpoint, and I went there and I was like, look, I don't have much money, but can I have a a setup? You know, like speakers and everything. I needed I needed a setup. All I had was my guitar with the pickup, and he he's like, you know what? I like what you're doing. You keep playing, and he let me use everything for free, Kathleen. And Michaela, everything. And I'll he, never forget that. He has that kind of heart. He did. Still does. Yeah. So come out the tent. Yeah. Say hi to Stan. Yeah. Does Justin yeah. know about this? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, we're doing a lot about this. All yeah. right. Yeah. We're Good. talking about it every morning. This yeah. is really cool. Uh, Kathleen's going to be on the air with us uh, Friday morning on all three Jam Broadcasting stations. So you can hear right. more about that this Friday and next Friday, too. So, yeah. Uh, we're, yeah. It's a big thing. It's it's awesome, and what you're doing, Kathleen, and what you've always done is uh, awesome as well. And let's let's back up for a second. So we we went into the future a little bit with this whole Jimmy Rogers thing. Now let's go back to the beginning of Kathleen and Hudson. Uh, you're from Fort Worth, Texas. I was actually born in Bethesda, Maryland. Oh, okay. Because my father was in the Navy. Okay. And, um, so we were in Bethesda, Maryland when I was born. But both of my parents were from Fort Worth, so um, he ended up coming back to Fort Worth and going to TCU after I was born, and then we went back to D.C. so he could do George Washington School of Medicine. So oh, wow. I, had, I had a little bit okay. of childhood in D.C., which I'd forgotten about till I visited one time at a conference, and all of a sudden I was doing a writing workshop, and this phrase came up, childhood I almost forgot. I mean, really, I forgot I was that kid on the White House lawn with Easter eggs. I forgot I was watching fireworks. I mean, I forgot it because fourth grade, I was here in Fort Worth, Texas, and 
we were on Rogers Street and TCU was right up the road. And so I was uh, born before my father started college. So I got to go on that path. And by the time he got into medicine, um, he was over 30 and he had four kids. Oh, wow. And then when I was 17, they had a fifth one. So I'm the oldest of five. And so Fort Worth is my hometown. Talk about not giving up as a father and still continuing your education for your family. Yeah, with five, all four kids at that time, you know, fifth one on the way eventually, you know. I mean, that's that's dedication to your family. I don't know how he did it. He worked at a lab. Well, let's talk about how my mother did it. I mean, she was working as a stenographer at the Pentagon, and then she was... Finally, she had all these kids at home, and Dad was working two jobs while he was in medical school. And I mean, it was just a quite a journey. Mm. So, so you went to school. Where did you go to school at? Well, I went to uh, college at TCU. Okay, thank you, Dad, and uh, <laughs> that was really great. And I was married at the time, um, and. Not when I first went to college, but I got married right out of college and had a couple of kids, taught high school, and then went through a divorce and then remarried pretty quickly. That was a time when I just kind of thought I was supposed to be married. So I remarried probably in about 72, and I was teaching school, having kids, and following my dream. Mm -hmm. I had my first horse in college. And I started barrel racing. I started training horses. And then pretty soon I got invited to run barrels at the Fort Worth Rodeo, which was which was quite a nice invitation because most of the girls were professionals and I was an amateur. But they invited like 30 local amateurs or something. So anyway, I had a, I had a great life and then uh, went through a divorce and Ph.D. and teaching at Alito High School and talked to my kids, and Rod Kennedy said, I've been coming to the folk festival since the second year. Been down here every year wow. with my kids, raised them out there in the meadow. So you've been to every, every single except one. Except one, except, except the, the first, first one. one. That is incredible. That's amazing. So it's all, all woven into um, everything I do. When I look back, it definitely has. A central thread and coherence and a theme. But when you're in it, you don't see that. But when I look back now, I see I was always drawn to the power of stories. Always drawn to the narrative that human beings create. And right now, my classes are based on the work of neuroscientist David Eagleman. And my work with him, I've done... uh, conversations with him online if you bought his last book live wired you could pay a little extra and have these conversations with him about the book so that was very exciting and i bring all that to my classroom of course i think we should all be paying attention to how our brain works in education so important if i wanted another crusade (laughs) which I don't, it would be uh, to spread that through the entire system. And, and why is that, Kathleen? Well, as I work with these students in the area of writing, and I hear them say things like, I can't write, never been able to write, I don't like to write, by introducing 
what's going on with her brain and some mindfulness techniques that include uh, observing your breath and deep breathing and writing in a journal, they are more open to learning. If I just go in with a lecture and say, here's how you write a paper, it, it doesn't, doesn't appeal to the same part of the brain. Stories with emotion appeal to a certain part of the brain that opens things up. That's why all the great teachers, historically, you can think of include stories. They do not give you lists. And, of course, in a Christian country, you can talk about Christianity, and you can talk about parables and stories. And uh, I teach mythology, so I look at the stories in all the cultures. But wherever you are, there's a storyteller. Mm. And it has a certain effect on the brain. How long have you been teaching, Miss Kathleen? January of 2023 will mark 55 years. <laughs> 55 years teaching. Yes. Where, where did you start and and uh, and where are you teaching now? You're still teaching. Yes, I am. I, I started um, in Fort Worth that January. There was a call for math teachers and I had 10 hours of math. And at one time I was a math major, um, although I ended up with a degree in English and history. So I jumped in and took that math course, you know, to support my family and help my younger husband in college. And um, so I taught math at Stripling Junior High. Then I quickly moved to my alma mater, Richland High School. And out there, I taught English and history, and I asked the principal, give me one math class. And he said, what? Are you crazy? And I said, well, 2X is 12. I know what 1X is. I like knowing the answer once in a while. Because you don't know the answers reading an English essay. There there are no answers Mm. to be had. So um, I taught all three of those classes at Richland High School and then um, moved out to Alito, which is near Weatherford, out west, and um, ended up teaching there. And then Shriner University. Shriner University. So what was Shriner University like when you first started there? Well... I had a purple shade on my hair. I had snakeskin boots up to my knees. Love it. Sometimes cobalt blue, fake fingernails. And the English department was a collection of men that included a tank commander from World War II. Shriner was just coming off being a military institute. When I started at Shriner, I think the first four-year class graduated. Before that, it had been two-year, and uh, just the history is fascinating. But when I came in, and I was, I think, the only one with a PhD. So you have this female costumed up with a PhD, and I became very close to Boardman Chambers, who I was with him a week before he died at age 91, and became very good friends. I had my challenges. I'm not going to say it was easy, but I loved what I was doing. And first and foremost, just like today, the first thing I think about when I get up this afternoon, I have a class at 1.15. What are we going to do? Maybe I need to shift something to make it work better. You know, it's just 
part of who I am. Well, yeah, teaching that long, it becomes your identity. Yes. And, you know, I started and ran a music foundation 30 years. So I know what it's like to run a business. I raise money. I produced events. I started the coffee house at Shriner. I started the Texas Heritage Day at Shriner. All of that is now evolved into Bill Muse's Songkeepers Program and Don Frazier in the Texas Center. They're doing the Tex Fest this year, which includes the educational component that that I created you know, years ago. A lot of the things that you've done have really become a part of history mm-hmm. in yeah. this area. Uh, I'm serious. Is it the color of my hair? No, it's, <laughs> no, it's, it's the legacy. Yeah, the yeah. legacy and... Uh, and when I had Kathleen on last year, she came in for a couple minutes on the morning show, and I was like, uh, we have the legend, Kathleen Hudson, <laughs> in the studio. And the first thing she goes, she says to me, she goes, legends are dead. <laughs> so I was like, okay, the, the living legend, <laughs> Kathleen Hudson, live in the studio. And, I, and you I like are, that. you know, you, you well, have a legacy. You have a living legacy. Like you, like the things that you've done and, and your history, did you realize that, that your life was going to go like that? No. Like you are very well known in this area. Mm-hmm. Like that pe- continues to surprise me uh, as I move around town. I was very fortunate. I don't know how this happened except that I came out of a very loving nest. I came out of a nest and a family that said, go, try. Yes. I heard yes. I need ballet yes- lessons. Well, we don't have the money, but we'll, we'll do it. I want piano lessons. Well, we don't have the money, but we'll figure it out. So I feel that I had that yes. And like I said, my parents lived till I was 69. So I had an anchor. When my mom, when my dad retired as a doctor, uh, we talked every day. And then when he died in 2014, the next year, my mother and I kept talking every day, mm. every day. So they were woven into me, and I think they're... Part of the fact that it's kind of like the Guy Clark song, The Cape, and there's a line in it, he did not know he could not fly, and so he did. And I kind of feel like I I didn't know I couldn't do things. So, you know, I told y'all I created uh, a 15-part radio series. I wasn't in radio. I was over there teaching English at Shriner University. But I wanted to capture my interviews and I wanted yeah. to turn my conversations. I mean, I'll never forget the one I had with Kinky Friedman. And I went into KRVL at the time. It was way out on highway, on the junction highway somewhere. Yeah, where the AM tower still is today, I believe. Yeah. And I went into the studio at night and nobody guided me. They gave me a razor blade and told me how to edit that tape. And I played Kinky's tape and I edited the interview and inserted music. Then I put time for, um, then I started researching syndication. And then one time I literally drove around the state knocking on doors of radio stations, asking them if they wanted this series of shows. That's amazing. And it's hilarious when I look back on it because it's like I just didn't know any better and I was able to do whatever in me that wanted to come out. And You know, that, that reminds me, have you ever read The Four Agreements? Oh, yeah. And the elephant oh, okay. on the on the rope. Yeah. And there's the you know the elephant has no idea before the elephant's put on a 
the, the elephant just roams freely, right? And then you have this rope that's put on this elephant. And this elephant's tied to the stake. And the elephant's trying to pull away from the rope and trying to pull away from the rope. And next thing you know, the elephant can't get loose from this rope and this three-foot stake. So, so what ends up happening with this elephant is they take the rope off the elephant. And the, rele- the elephant doesn't try to walk away from where the stake was anymore. The elephant stays within three feet. And you didn't have that. You had you had the support and the, the yeses. The opposite. In life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, instead of being held back, you're kind of thrown forward. Yes. You know? That's what it feels like. Now, there are five of us in my family, and we all have a different story. We even have a different story about what we heard from our parents. Mm. But I do have a family where um, two brothers are emergency room doctors, and we had a lot of service in our family. And my dad was a servant doctor. I mean, he had the black bag. He went to the person's house. He started a clinic when he was 80 years old to take care of Medicare patients because they couldn't get in other places. So he said, well, I'll do that. And he did it. I'll take that on. Mm. Yeah, at 80. And my other brother was an accountant, and so he helped my dad with the business. My sister, uh, she was a a nurse anesthetist until she hurt her wrist. So we all... You know, jumped out there and did what we wanted, I think. This is the second time that uh, parenting has been truly brought up and uh, the product of of supportive parents. And and that's, it's amazing. It's amazing because your your mother and father not only supported you, but they led by example. And uh, it starts with a good foundation. And sometimes you may not remember every detail, but subconsciously, you do. And, of course, they made lots of mistakes. They left me sitting in my bed until the Dr. Spock book says you're supposed to eat at a certain time. (laughs) And so that was the era of, sorry, kid, you can sit in your bed and cry. And, of course, now we look at that and go, no, that's not what you would do. But they did the best they could with what they had. And then I feel like, uh, you know, I did the same, the best I could with what I had. And I'm so fortunate, not only did I get to talk to my parents right up to the moment of their death, I mean, I could ask them anything. And now, uh, this last Saturday, I drove up to Burleson and um, went to a party that my son was having. I ended up being there with all three of my children. My first granddaughter, my great grandson, and it was just quite wonderful to be with all of them, you know. And just think about the power of family, and and not not everyone gets to do that. So um, now, now in turn, you're with your kids. Did you did you, do you have that same philosophy with with your kids as your parents had with you? The, I think the, I think so. My daughter came in at eight years old and wanted to go play basketball. I was riding and training horses. I've never played a team sport in my life. And my little daughter says, well, she could get a ride and go play on some church team. And I said, yes. And uh, my other son, my youngest son, um, we were moving to Kerrville. And we were at a flea market in Weatherford. And he wanted this horse. And I really didn't want to buy a horse before I came to Kerrville. 
But yeah. we ended up buying him a horse because... Well, you came to the right place with the horse. You well, know. We, That's right. Yeah. We lived on Valley View, and I had three acres, so we moved into a place where I could keep a horse. And, of course, I brought my horse. Awesome. <laughs> Shriners, oh, go ahead. No, okay. go ahead, John. Yeah, I, I was totally thinking about something different, about uh, Shriners 100 years. I, y'all are talking about horses, and I'm like, you know, the history of Shriner, what, what the value provided to Shriner, and... It's coming up on a hundred years. It is. Yeah. It is coming up on hundred years. Yeah, it's, so, it's on my notes too. I so. used to uh, <laughs> ride my horse over to campus, and one year we had a celebration on campus where we brought in some. So you were there for the fifty year. Uh, no. No, you weren't. No, you weren't there. For I've the only f- been there since eighty five. That's right. You you've been teaching for fifty five, but okay. Sorry. Not at Shriner. Shriner since yeah. yeah yeah. But um, we had a Founders Day party. And they decided to bring some Longhorn cattle, and we herded them around the loop as part of the celebration of the Shriners and the Y.O. And I brought my big old red horse. I mean, I what was a that tall like? horse. It was so much fun. You should see the picture in my office. I love it. I'm riding my horse around the Shriner campus herding cattle. <laughs> well, I used to go to the trail rides at the, the Y.O. Ranch. My first year here in 84, I went to the first trail ride. It was a fundraiser for the Cowboy Artist Museum at the time. So I was riding with all those cowboy artists. Before it was was a museum of Western art? Yeah. Yeah, that that place is wonderful. Lots of stories. And, you know, I'm sitting here with this little stack of books. Yeah, let's talk about those books. You're an author. It's right there. You're an author. (laughs) I'm sitting here with this little stack of books because these are collections of of stories they're collections of my interviews and this came out in march of this year corazon abierto and these are mexican-american voices in texas music i was very inspired by max baca flaco santiago patricia vaughn stephanie urbina jones tish hinojosa and so my conversations are forever saved right here in this book and then in 2007, working with the University of Texas Press, I interviewed the women of Texas music. And, and then, who were some of those women that, and, that you interviewed? Huh? Who were some of the, those women that well, you interviewed? In uh, Terry Hendricks, of course. Oh, yeah. Susan yeah. Gibson, Wide Open Spaces. <laughs> Carolyn Wonderland. And um, Carolyn Wonderland got a message one time in Houston that Bob Dylan wanted her to come jam with him. And he, she and I were talking about who? Who told Bob about Carolyn? And we figure it was Doug Som because oh, okay. Bob yeah. Dylan and Doug were buddies. So this was the first book, telling stories, writing songs. And there's Kinky and Willie and Tish and Joe Ely and guess who? Robert Earl Keane. Mm. And he had one little album when I brought him to the Shriner Coffee House. One album he was playing around and i heard him and what is he doing now next weekend he's playing his farewell you know tour and he's at floor's country store and my son clayton will be there all right parker wow so you know it just goes around and these collections of stories are are very important to me and um and where can people get those at well 
any of them on Amazon, of course. The best way to get this is probably TexasAMPress.org. Okay. It's T-A-M-U. Dot org, dot right? org. Okay. Texas A&M. No. No? No. It's got press in it. But anyway, Jeez. it's Texas A&M Press. Here, and I'm, that's, I'm pulling it up right now. You can get them online. And um, back in March, they had a discount on them. I don't know what they do now. It's but TamuPress.com. TamuPress. Yeah, T-A-M-U-Press.com. And I love this cover. Yeah. It's a hardback, but I just love it, the design. And it's then on beautiful. the back, you've got Max Baca. We love him in this community, the Tex Maniacs. I brought him to Shriner many times. And Patricia Vaughn, Rosie Flores. Um, I had a chance when I was running my foundation to be a sponsor of a Rockabilly radio series. And I said yes to a producer named Lex Gillespie. He did all the research. I looked over the shows, and it was a package on the history of Rockabilly. And he asked me for a recommendation for an MC. First, we thought about Steve Earle. That didn't happen. Bingo. Rosie Flores. All of a sudden, one day at Shriner, I get a phone call. And they said, you've just won a Peabody. And I really? Said, I said, what? They said, yes, the Texas Heritage Music Foundation is being honored in New York City, with Lex Gillespie, the producer wow. for this radio series. So I said yes to the right person. <laughs> and so Rosie and I, we put on our cowboy boots, and I had on a leather shirt with horses painted on it. And I got a room at the Chelsea Hotel. Of course, I got a room at the Chelsea Hotel. Thank you, Bob Dylan. Thank you, Leonard Cohen. And I walked over to the, the hotel where the... You know, we were all being honored and, um, yeah, accepted a Peabody. What was and, that like? Well, it was just unbelievable. I mean, I, it was just in a dream. Like, how did that happen? It happened because when Lex called me, I mean, lots of people had ideas. But when he called me, I knew he would follow through. I mean, you know, in the music business, you know the talk. But he, I just knew talking to him that I wanted to work with him. And he needed a sponsor. And he had gone to several people. He needed a nonprofit house. And Texas Heritage Music worked out perfect for him. And That's I got incredible. To help a little. That's amazing. That's You've cool. had a long career so far. So far, yeah. Of just epicness. And I'm sure it'll continue. And uh, so grateful to have you on the podcast today, Kathleen, seriously. Uh, I do have a question for you. Uh, I don't. I don't know what your job title is. Like, I, I know that you're an English professor, professor, and I also know that you're a journalist, yeah. and I also know that you're a, uh, a radio host because of your radio series that you did. And I also know that you're an author, um, and a mother, and a mother, and a sister, and a barrel racer, <laughs> cowgirl, a cowgirl. Yeah, you're all of these things to to somebody starting out. In, in any of that, whatever any of that may be, what could, kind of advice would you give to them? I would say keep a journal, <laughs> reflect on yourself, be willing to look at yourself. Don't be a victim of life circumstances. You're driving the boat. You're in the driver's seat. 
So whether it's a journal or whether it's an organization or whether it's the church of your choice or whether it's alone sitting out by the river, be willing to look in here. I think we spend way, I see my friends even spend way too much time talking about what the circumstances are. And so reflect, look inside, see what wants to come out and support that. That was beautiful. Absolutely. John, you got anything else before we jump off this podcast today? She did not know she could fly. <laughs> so she did. Yeah. Wait, she did not know she could not fly. Yeah. <laughs> so she did. Dad gummit. Either way, it works. Y'all know so. what yeah, I'm talking about. That's incredible. <laughs> All right, there you go. That's uh, episode number 89 of the Curveball Podcast. And uh, thank you so much again, Kathleen Ann Hudson, for coming on and, and spending some time with us this morning. Yes. You're amazing. What an honor. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, episode number 90 is coming up Thursday. You can get this at CurvilPodcast.com. You can also get this by typing Curvil Podcast into the Google uh, Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, and more. And also on YouTube and Facebook on the Curvil Podcast Facebook page. And we'll be back Thursday with number 90.